Hey guys, and welcome to the 21st episode of the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. As per usual, you're joined by myself and Tierra. We're just doing a solo episode today or a duo episode, and we'll get right off into it. We want to start off by discussing how the competition went this last weekend. So only two days ago from when we're discussing it now. And yeah, it was an awesome show. Another great one hosted by ICM. This one was the Brisbane Classic. And we had two competitors there this last weekend. Yeah, it was what an epic day. Oh my gosh. And it was almost surreal for Jack and I because, you know, it was only a year ago that we were at that show. And it really just reiterated how fast time really freaking flies. It was crazy to be back there as coaches. But yeah, our athletes just did so well. So we had Oliver, he was our men's physique client. And then we also had Kate and she did fitness model and sports model. And both of their physiques just looked phenomenal. They, damn, all their hard work just totally paid off and we could not be more proud of them. And so yeah, Kate was up there, Jesus, she was up there like seven times, wasn't she? What a day, like kudos to her. Talk about endurance running back and forth on stage all day long. But yeah, so Kate did fantastic. She Overall, with between sports model and fitness, she came away with two first places, one second place, and then three third places. Uh, just so freaking proud of her. And then Oliver as well, he came away with two second places in men's physique. And damn, like, holy crap, the lineups... The standard just keeps getting better and better every single year. And there were some tough lineups up there. Yeah, that was probably the uh, like, yeah, the toughest lineup I've ever seen for a men's physique. Like everyone was super conditioned, great posing all round. And yeah, um, size was great as well. So yeah, muscularity, I should say. Yeah, it was just such an epic day. And again, like... Thanks so much to everyone that said hi and commented on the podcast. I even met a girl in the bathroom who was like, I love your podcast. And I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. I think her name was Livy. So thank you so much if you're listening to this. But yeah, it was just so great to catch up with all the coaches. And afterwards, we got to all go out and have a burger together. That was very celebratory. Oliver had like, what the heck was it called? (laughs) It was called the Triple Loco. Yeah. The it was tr- like, it was two uh, toasted cheese sandwiches. Yeah. And then in between it was like three three um, burger patties yeah. with like fries. Oh my God. Triple Loco, literally like three massive burgers in one, that thing. And he finished basically the whole thing, didn't he? Mm, he minus just, the salad. Yeah, my, yeah, we've had enough salad over the last 20 plus weeks. So, <laughs> but yeah, what an epic day and we've still got one more show coming up this next week for Kate she'll be competing in bikini at AWNBS this weekend and I know she's just had her heart set on that show basically this whole time so so excited to see her up there this Sunday and yeah this past week has just been awesome like I've signed up with another three girls this week one will be doing season B Um, The other two, I'm helping them through their improvement seasons, and then we're going to start a prep for season A next year, which is just so awesome. I'm so glad that I get to work with competitors during their improvement season for a long time to really build down that foundation and, you know, really make sure that we can bring a solid, phenomenal physique to stage. So that should be epic. And holy shit, Jack, we only have like three weeks left of uni. 
for our lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, hoping if we pass everything. We'll but... pass. Dude, we <laughs> always make it through. We always get it done. But, oh yeah, my there's God. Yeah, no, there's no risk of us not passing. I was just joking, but... We're, we're actually pretty damn good in our <laughs> academics. <laughs> but, yeah, three weeks left. Like, this is the only semester of our lives we don't have final exams. So, there's still a hell of a lot left to do. But, yeah, we'll get it done. Yeah, and I have I have some new clients as well who have just signed up with me, which is very exciting. So hopefully, I don't know, don't think any of them at the moment have competition goals for this year, but definitely next year we're looking at some things. And of course, we both love helping everyone regardless of whether you have competition goals or not. So yeah, exactly. Oh, that reminds me, I've signed up with a another guy who is he wants to do like a cut for his graduation in July. So we'll be working together for the next two months. And just because his parents are coming back from overseas to just make them really proud of him. And, you know, he just wants to um, give himself a bit of a health kick. So that's really fun. And he's already making phenomenal progress in this last week alone. So it's so damn cool. I freaking I love this. I'm so glad that we just get to graduate in like, we'll finish uni in just over three weeks. Then we have quite a while till we graduate in July. But essentially, we can just keep on rolling with this. I just, I can't believe this can actually be a career. How damn awesome is that? Yeah, we're very, very fortunate. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, we have some, we have some great listener questions and which coincide well with us just finishing the show. So both from Jen, uh, Lawrence Greaves and John Skultz. Hopefully I did that right the second time. But yeah, they both asked biggest lessons from our first show day and what have we learned as our first season as coaches. So great minds think alike, I think. Mm, Yeah, for sure. (laughs) All right. So I think one of the first things is that we just, it really reiterates the point that you need to start early. You know, like gone are the days where people do eight week preps or 12 week preps. With both of our clients, we started well over 20 weeks out, I believe. So, and that really paid off because you don't want to have to get to the very end and, you know, basically be fighting for your life, (laughs) just absolutely running yourself into the ground to try to get lean enough. It's so much better to feel confident and have a smooth journey and get there. uh, Yeah, pretty, I'd say early, like before Mm. that you actually want to hop on stage, you already want to be ready. That's that's the ultimate goal. So because then you can practice a peak week. Yeah, exactly. It was actually really awesome because I got to do a practice peak week with Kate a week before she did a photo shoot. And We just got so many learning takeaways from there and seeing how her body responded to the protocol. And yeah, that was just awesome and such a great way to essentially practice for the shows. And we really nailed it. So I'm really glad that we took advantage of that week and got her ready early. Yeah. And another lesson that we both learned was basically not leaving anything up to interpretation with our client. So everyone interprets things differently. And for example, like do your total steps include separate cardio? For example, uh, weighing yourself in the morning, what are the exact protocols for that? Because we want to keep that the same every single day. Anything else that you can think? Yeah, well, I think one of the biggest things we learned was just that the plan is so dynamic. You know, you never create an exercise program and you never set specific macros, you know, and then just say, off you go. You know, you are checking in. We checked in with our clients on a daily basis. And again, the plan was dynamic. We were always manipulating things. 
And you just really have to speak to your clients and ask them how they're responding to certain exercises, how they're responding to certain foods, just how they're feeling. And wow, one of the most important things I can say is that take pictures like with a grain of salt. And what I mean by that is photos that you see on social media and even check-in photos, I think like, I think it is so damn important to see your clients in person because just a physique looks so much different to your eye in person compared to in a photo because photos can be very deceiving either way. Yeah, I agree. And I think just to segue from what Tiara was saying, I think being a great coach is knowing evidence-based practice, so knowing what to do, but also there's a difference between knowing what is right and also applying it to your athlete. So applying it to their individual circumstances, what works for them, um, because say literature indicates athletes who have consume five grams per kilo of body weight of carbohydrates are more likely to be successful. But what if your athlete can't actually diet on that amount of carbohydrates? So yeah, it's working strategies around those problems that arise and anything that comes up for them too. So yeah, and I think one last thing we can say is that our athletes responded very, very well to high days. And Jack and I have just seen a lot of success with implementing high days for our athletes, whether those be consecutive days. So for example, like four low days, three high days, or even having like one high day during the middle of the week and then two consecutive high days after that. But yeah, just small, acute like injections essentially of higher carbohydrate intake can just work wonders. And I don't even know how to physiologically explain it, but like we saw some of our lowest weigh-ins the day after they'd consumed 300 plus grams of carbs. Because mm, ultimately the goal is to lose the, I guess the most amount of weight or the most appropriate amount of weight on the most amount of food. So you, there's no need to just dig yourself a hole and um, force extreme amounts of cutting calories and that sort of stuff. So that's not the goal with um, yeah weight loss for athletes. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, a lot of learning takeaways, but essentially we'll continue to learn for years and decades to come. And it's just such an awesome experience. So moving on to two other questions, both which are quite similar. So one was asked by Zach Martin Fitness and the other was asked by Ali Jansen. And they ask, um, where and what do you both study? What courses do you do? What qualifications do you have? So, Well, I guess our main qualification is we have a bachelor degree in nutrition and exercise science. And that was a three-year undergraduate degree from the University of Queensland. Right now, we're doing a Master's of Dietetics studies at the University of Queensland, and that runs for 1.5 years. And then during the second year of uni, Jack and I also did our Cert 3 and 4 in fitness to become so that we got our personal trainer certificates, and we did that with the Australian Institute of Sport. We also have our ISAC. No, Australian Institute of Personal Trainers. Oh, shit. Yeah. Damn, I wish AIS. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Um, and we also have our ISAC credentials, so that's level one anthropometry, so we can take skin folds. What else? is? Do we have anything else? Uh, no, not a, nothing official, but a lot of our information is self-taught from additional reading that we do. We have access to the whole University of Queensland database, so we can basically do as much research as we want. So it's actually kind of incredible how much the university pays for these journals. It's like well over a million dollars 
for even just one journal. So it's mm-hmm. quite crazy. And we have access to that at our fingertips being student. So yeah, but something I do want to emphasize is that I do get a lot of messages and people say, you know, like, what did you study? I want to learn everything that you've learned. And I just want to make the point that university is awesome for teaching you the how would you call it maybe like the baseline knowledge of like anatomy physiology Mm. nutrition science but if you really want to niche like if you want to become an expert in bodybuilding nutrition you can't really learn that from university you're not going to get that out of a learn university lecture so you really have to utilize other resources so like jack said you need to do your own research on various journal databases you also need to utilize resources like reading the muscle and strength pyramid books by eric helms Uh, you can utilize a lot of the resources sent out by renaissance periodization and Uh, Just listening to evidence-based podcasts like Sigma Nutrition Radio and Iraqi Nutrition and Revive Stronger is an awesome one too. So just utilizing all of your resources and that way you're really going to help educate yourself the most if you really want to niche. So yeah, that's just my best advice in terms of learning things if you're very interested in in specifically bodybuilding nutrition. Yeah, and I would say that definitely still having a university qualification is it is what it is like it's a qualification we'll have for life like most of our nutritional science and biochemistry and anatomy comes from there and it definitely does like we wouldn't have the bodybuilding knowledge today if we didn't have that foundation so yeah exactly exactly and that really helps with our myth myth busting and when you um read crazy shit on the internet you can just like (laughs) decipher through bullshit which is really good (laughs) but yeah I guess our final qualification we are looking to gain is becoming qualified sports dietitians and that will require us to go down to either the Australian Institute of Sport hopefully later this year and specialize as sports dietitians. So moving into some more specific questions now on nutrition and fitness as well we'll start off with Another one by Ali Jansen, which is, is it bad to get most of your protein intake from protein powder? I wouldn't necessarily say bad, but I wouldn't advise it because like protein powder is awesome, but at the same time, you do get a a hell of a lot of other nutrients from eating a wide variety of other protein sources like red meat, fish, chicken, eggs, yogurt that you just won't get in the powder. Mm, yeah like protein powder will still has a minimum threshold of leucine which is two grams and it'll still stimulate muscle protein synthesis but as tiara said you won't get the calcium from like the yogurt you won't get iron from the red meat you won't get choline from the eggs (laughs) Mm, yeah then the list goes on so yeah so personally i try and get a different protein source with each meal that's going you don't definitely don't need to do that but like For breakfast, I have yogurt. Lunch, I usually have a chicken-based. Dinner, I'll usually have a mint, beef mince, and then I'll also have protein powder once a day. So yeah, I'm quite the same. I like I like variety there. I think yeah, getting variety in, you just cover your bases for obtaining various nutrients. Cool. So another one by Sarah Schmidt asks, can you guys go over reverse diet after prep? Mm. So we def- we did a quite a detailed one of this. Um, I think it's uh, should be definitely in the title of the episode, but mm-hmm. we'll cu- we'll sum it up quickly now as well because it is the end of uh, almost end of season A. So 
Basically, there's a difference between the reverse diet and the recovery diet, both of which are coined by two different people, really. So the reverse diet is essentially where you very, very slowly add in nutrients, so like uh, mainly carbs, um, bit by bit, and slowly creep up your weight over quite a long period. Yeah, so we're talking like adding 10 or 20 grams a week, so hardly anything. Mm, and the major issue with this is that you for the very large basically after a prep your body is primed for fat gain not muscle gain so you will basically be feeling like crap until you get to a certain amount of body fat where your hormones normalize and you just feel better and that might take a long time if you're doing this method whereas the second method is called the recovery diet where you essentially try get to get to homeostasis where your body feels great so body fat is higher as soon as possible and then you can go back into proper training feel great while training and you can actually gain some muscle instead of taking ages to get to that point mm-hmm. and the recommendations for this so this is coined by 3dmj and they recommend five to ten percent of your stage weight or approximate stage weight within the first four to six weeks after competing and so for example someone who's around 100 kilos on stage this would be between five to ten kilos in the first four to six weeks after competing. So yeah, it's good that you have some nice guidelines to follow because for coaches and competitors, it makes it something that's quite easy. Yeah, exactly. Don't like, don't doink around like after a comp, like really get yourself back in a surplus and just get yourself feeling better. Yeah, that's, that's the main thing. So Jack and I are definitely pro recovery diet. Mm. And I will admit that I like, I was I was scared of gaining weight after my comp and I Oh yeah, everyone is, you know, because mm. you've been lean for so long, it's so hard to see changes in your body. Yeah, and I could definitely tell the difference when I got to that body fat where I could then train heavily again and feel good and yeah, advise everyone to get there ASAP. Yeah, because if you're gonna get there anyway, why not just hurry up the process, right? Mm. And yeah, I guess the last thing to say is don't go on the other spectrum and gain like 10 kilos in the first couple days. So. Yeah, Jesus. I don't even know how much food you'd actually have to eat to gain that much. <laughs> I would just feel sick. So another question. Uh, so another question by Lloyd is most recommended method of progression slash adding weight to compound movements. Hmm. So there's a couple, there are quite a few different methods of going about this like obviously the first one is just linear progression and trying to add weight every single week within a certain rep range and obviously this can only occur for a certain amount of time because if everyone could gain strength linearly like we would all be number one powerlifters so epic (laughs) that would be awesome (laughs) so a couple of other ways let's take the bench press for example would be to program it more frequently because a large component of strength gain is is associated with basically neural or basically getting the technique down 100% and especially for females this is what this is more important so for example scheduling bench press 3 times a week instead of one and do, maybe doing one of those days to more with a higher intensity and the the other days backing off on the intensity and really focusing on technique while still focusing on stimulation mm-hmm. And by intensity, Jack means that on one of those days is essentially a heavier day. One of those days is essentially a lighter day. Yeah. And anything else you can think of? Yeah. Well, I would just say, so for example, if you had the bench press, pick a rep range that you want to work between. So let's say, would you say between maybe six and 10 
on average for a bench press. So start with a given weight that you can lift for six reps for let's say three sets, if you just kept the sets the same, and then try to get seven reps, try to get eight reps, try to get nine reps, try to get 10 reps. Once you can get three by 10 at that given weight, what you can do is add a small amount of weight to the bar, even at like 2.5 kilograms, then go back down to six reps and try to get six reps at three sets and then seven reps at three sets. And you can just keep going up and up like that and you just keep inching forward. So that's certainly a method that's worked very well for me across many of my compounds and many of my um, athletes as well. Mm, Which is essentially another similar, basically linear progression as well. Another method is also focusing on the accessory movements for that lift as well. And... Yeah, that's all I can think of really. And making sure you promote recovery enough for that lift and take deloads when necessary uh, because otherwise your strength, that's a sure way of getting a strength plateau if you don't deload. So, mm-hmm. For sure. We've certainly learned that in the last week or so. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Okay. And moving on to the next question, another one by Zach Martin Fitness. So is it is having low GI carbs pre-workout and high GI carbs post-workout the right way to go? So it really depends on who you are. I would say that this is only would only be highly recommended if you had an athlete who is training more than one time per day. So for example, let's say someone was doing twice a day training. So these are like elite athletes. The reason why you'd want to have high GI carbohydrates straight afterwards is because you want to try to kickstart that muscle reglycogen synthesis as fast as you can. And high GI carbohydrates are going to do that. (laughs) Um, Because if you only have like four hours between training sessions, you want to get some muscle glycogen in there. But if you're only training one time a day, eh, it doesn't really matter, to be honest. Like muscle, like glycogen is going to be fully resynthesized within the next 24 hours. So I would say like even having a lower GI carbohydrate source after your workout, it's still going to be just fine. And you're still going to spike the exact same amount of insulin because protein spikes insulin just as much as carbohydrates do if you have like at least a 20 to 25 gram bolus of protein, especially like a whey protein source with a high amount of leucine. Mm. And I think we should always be looking at nutrition, especially sports nutrition in, yeah, any nutrition individually and personalized to that specific person. So for example, if you're in a prep, there is no way I could have a high GI carb pre-workout in a prep because like I would, I would be done my first set and I would already be hungry. So I would be eating personally a lot of low GI foods prior to training, pretty close to my training as well. And even in a prep, I wouldn't want to be having high GI after training either because... Low fiber intake, it's just not satiating at all. And like, yeah. But whereas now I would probably lean more towards high GI for both of them just because I'm eating a lot of food and it's uncomfortable to eat, to have a full stomach while training. You just feel a bit sick. Yeah, and it matters exactly. Are you in a prep or are you in a surplus? How many carbs do you have to get in during a day? Because, for example, if you have a very high carb intake, then hell yeah, if you want to drink a Gatorade after your workout and that's going to help you, you know, reach your macro targets, then go for it. Or like, you know, if you're going to be going out for a meal an hour later or something and you want to still be hungry for that meal, then yes, you could have a higher GI carbohydrate source. But 
just use macronutrients strategically. I generally go for lower GI because I want to be satiated. I'm only training once a day. And also I've got a few hours between each one of my meals and my post-workout meal is always generally a meal. It's not just a snack. So yeah, I always usually go for something like oats or wholemeal flour. Yeah. And this coincides well with the next question where, which asks, is it necessary to not have fats post-workout? And again, there's like a middle ground depending on the individual. The only reason why you wouldn't have fats or have minimal fats post-workout is yes, it does. It decreases the absorption time of protein and carbohydrates. And again, if you're not training for a while or if you're eating between within two hour window of your training session, then again, it doesn't really matter that much. You don't wanna be having like half your fat intake after training. I would say anywhere between like up to like 10 to 15 grams even is okay. Yeah, it's totally fine. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, nothing to stress about. Yeah. So moving on to yet another question by Naturally Nina. If you could go back five years and tell your past self one thing, what would it be? I'm going to let you go first. What would you say to 16-year-old Jack? (laughs) Yeah, almost 17. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, it depends if this is about nutrition or not. Um, I'm going to assume it's up to interpretation. So probably just to not give a shit about what other people think about me and just do what I want to do because I did get bogged down a lot around that time and especially within my probably first year of uni where I just cared a little bit too much what people thought and which stopped me from doing what I wanted to do so yeah so what is it that you wanted to do well I wanted to do what I'm doing now so definitely get myself out there um, not be afraid to actually speak out that I'm passionate about bodybuilding and nutrition as well and yeah pretty that's much. good Okay, so if I could tell 16-year-old Tierra one thing. Okay, so five years ago, this would have been May. Unfortunately, this was actually when I was like at the peak of my eating disorder in high school, which was a really, really, really tough time for me. So if I was to tell myself one thing, it would probably just be that you're not always going to feel like this and things get a lot better and Yeah, and I would also tell myself that just eat some goddamn food (laughs) because you could be such a better athlete because I was trained, when I was at this point, I was training the most I'd ever had in my life. Like I'd walk to school in the morning, I would either do gym or track for an hour. After school, I would have hockey training and volleyball training and then walk home. And I was eating like hardly anything And at this point, I was just so overly obsessed with my body weight and any, anything that I did eat, I was obsessed with calories and I just, I wanted to burn it off like immediately. I had this idea that I didn't want any extra. So like I only wanted enough calories and enough fat on my body to just be me. I didn't want a single extra gram of fat on me. Anyway, I was training a lot and I was actually a good athlete, but unfortunately, because I was just not fueling myself properly at all, I really didn't reach my maximum potential for the amount of effort I was putting in. So like I could have been a much, much better runner. I probably could have gone to a state or a national level if I would have just had some goddamn fuel in me. 
But yeah, that was just a really, really bad time for me mentally. And I'm just so glad that I got through that. So I wish I just could have told myself, you know, in five years, look where you're going to be. You're going to have such a healthy relationship with food. You're going to have so much knowledge about food. You're going to like, you're actually going to do exercise because you love it, not necessarily because you're just scared of putting on body fat and you're literally just exercising to burn off calories. So I, I wish I just could have told myself that it's going to get a lot better. Sorry, that was kind of, <laughs> this, this question almost makes me feel a bit emotional because um, that was just a really tough time. Because yeah, I just wish that I had um, a lot more energy to enjoy life. And yeah, I just drove away. Unfortunately, I was very fragile and my family, it was just hard on my family and it was hard on my friends. And oh fuck, like food just conquered my life and calories just conquered my life. And I just wasn't reaching my maximum potential. I was very unhappy, but I'm so much better now. So yeah, I just wish I could have told myself that things are looking up. <laughs> You're not always going to think like this and be in this mindset. And um, yeah. And yeah, definitely a shitty thing to go through. But um, it's great that you're helping other people with that now. And yeah, definitely. Jesus, if there are any other 16 year old girls out there that are just obsessed with body weight and obsessed with burning calories um, and just have an unhealthy relationship with food, I can definitely empathize with that. And I just, ah, uh, I just don't want anyone to experience that mental battle and that mental pain. Cause it's just, it's so hard. It's, it's almost, it's just so difficult to even think back to my old mentality because I feel like a completely different person now. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> moving on from that next question. Uh, so this one says what to be conscientious about as a vegan athlete slash bodybuilder should we supplement EAAs so just to answer the last bit of that question so this was asked by Yumchar um, to answer the last bit of that question I don't think you necessarily need to supplement EAAs but you definitely need to consume EAAs or EAAs. <laughs> you definitely need to consume them. And as we've spoken about before on previous podcasts talking about vegans, you can just get essential amino acids through a combination of various plant foods. So perhaps, you know, combining your beans with your rice or like your nuts with your whole grains, that kind of thing. You just need to make sure that you're combining various foods so you get all the essential amino acids. Mm, and an easy way of doing this is just typing into Google complete protein ideas for vegans and because a complete protein combines all essential and non-essential amino acids. So, yeah, easy. Yeah, but, but one thing I would say is that just the leucine content, unfortunately, leucine content of plant sources is very low. And when you think about this, it kind of makes sense because leucine is that main amino acid which stimulates muscle protein synthesis, not only in humans, but in other animals too. And stimulating muscle protein synthesis is going to grow muscle. So you're gonna have more leucine in muscle. So if you're eating animal flesh, then you're going to obtain more leucine. So I would just say that is one thing to look out for as a vegan bodybuilder, particularly is the leucine content of your food. You could maybe potentially look at supplementing leucine, but again, you just want to make sure that uh, the food that you're consuming doesn't already obtain at least that minimum two grams of leucine. But I know a lot of good 
uh, vegan protein powders fortify their products with leucine, which is really good. Mm. And soy is actually the only, I guess, vegan product that contains the whole profile of essential amino acids. And yeah, which is why soy protein is so popular because it, yeah, it's a complete protein. So things like tofu, soybeans, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Personally, I think you should probably, my opinion, if I had a vegan athlete, I would probably get them supplementing with EAAs because they're fairly inexpensive and why not? So um, it's very easy. All right. And what else should a vegan bodybuilder be conscientious about? So pretty much anything that's derived from derived from animal sources that may not be as accessible in plants or you might have to be more careful about in getting the right amount. So things like iron, calcium, vitamin B12. Omega-3 fatty acids, zinc. Yeah. So, yeah, um, just be careful. Try and consume food sources that you know will have them. Otherwise... If you don't or it's too expensive to get those food sources, then you might have to look for supplementation. Yeah, but luckily a lot of the food sources are actually fortified with things like calcium and iron, some even B12. You can get omega-3s in the ALA form from chia seeds and walnuts. You can even look into algae oil if you don't want to get fish oil. But yeah, those are just a few things to look out for. Yep. So our last question for today is tips on maintaining your work output when going on a calorie deficit. So there are a number of facets to this question, depending on whether you're an athlete or just a general population losing weight, doing it for lifestyle reasons, and also the mental and physical factors involved as well. So say if you're an athlete and we're purely talking about athletic performance, obviously we, we want to be worried about our nutrition distribution. So prioritizing carbohydrates to ensure adequate training Yeah, energy. so definitely peri-workout. You'd have carbohydrates before and after your workout. And then when we're talking about just general daily fatigue associated with the diet, I think a lot of this is mental and just getting shit done and not letting the diet drag you down. Of course, if you're dieting to extreme levels of body fat, um, extremely low levels, then there will be some fatigue associated that with that, which is normal. However, we're just dipping in and out of that. So hopefully it shouldn't last for too long. Yeah, exactly. I really think that it's it's more mental than anything. So even if you're in a calorie deficit, don't approach your training any differently than if you were in a calorie surplus. Still have the same intensity, approach it with the same intent, you know, go in there and try to do your absolute best. And I can definitely speak from this anecdotally because I've been mini cutting now for one week and my calories have been decreased by 1000. And, you know, I could use the approach of, oh shit, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be able to perform as well. I won't be able to lift as heavy because I'm in a deficit, don't have as many carbs. But to be honest, like I'm actually down one kilogram now in the last week and I'm still hitting PBs and I'm still performing really well and I still feel great. So it really, really is all about that mental aspect. And yeah, I just say don't change up your training. You'll see a lot of people who go on a diet and then they like completely do a 180 with their training and they start doing all of this hit and they take away their compounds and they're doing like crazy high volume. So I just say stick to your bases, basis and yeah, just <laughs> ride out that diet. Yep, I agree completely. So we actually have one more question. 
and it is based off a dietitian's nutritional viewpoint. What are the best post drinking meals, as in after alcohol, to replenish lost nutrition and hence reduce hangovers? So essentially, what to eat and drink after a night out to reduce hangovers. Okay, so essentially the main reason why you have a hangover is more most likely because your body is dehydrated. So number one would be water. And um, I'd say also, yeah, water, you want some electrolytes in there too. So just get a good meal in. Uh, milk is awesome because that's even been shown in the literature that milk actually helps to rehydrate better than water because of the macronutrients in the milk. And because you have more macronutrients, they're going to help you to retain more water within your cardiovascular system. Mm. And there is a lot of myths about alcohol. And essentially, people who drink maybe once a week um, without going to excess, they'll use a pathway called alcohol dehydrogenase to metabolize alcohol. And pretty much the liver is involved in the majority if not all of alcohol metabolism and essentially the body views alcohol as a toxin and the liver has an antitoxin pathway which is responsible for removing toxins from the body for example in sweat in urine in feces feces yep and if you you sneeze (laughs) and you can't really speed that up so like when we go to the chemist, we always have a chuckle over like the liver detox pills oh and stuff God, like that. Oh my God, especially considering Jack's mom is a hepatologist. <laughs> mm, which is a, a liver doctor, but yeah, there's nothing you can really do to speed up the hangover cure. Like, um, I don't know, having more alcohol won't help because I know there's yeah. a myth about that. Yeah, it's called like the hair of the dog <laughs> where people like take a shot after they're already hung over. Mm. Please, no, I'd say... Yeah, get get like a good meal into you, especially also alcohol shuts down gluconeogenesis within the liver because the liver is primarily trying to metabolize that alcohol, essentially shuts down everything else. (laughs) So you can't produce new glucose within your liver. And this can actually be almost deadly for type one diabetics because if they can't synthesize more glucose, then they can go hypoglycemic when they're drinking. So especially that's one thing for type one diabetics is that always recommended that you have a carbohydrate snack before you go drinking. But again, I would just recommend, you know, a good balanced meal, um, some with protein, a good amount of fruits and vegetables and some whole grains in there and some healthy fats, get a bunch of water in you and get a good night's sleep, take a shower, go for a walk in the sun, try to sweat it out, do yeah, some sort of activity if you can, depending on how you're mentally feeling. (laughs) Yeah, I think overall, just get on and do what you would normally do. Caught up on the lost nutrition, caught up on the lost amount of hydration. That is one thing, actually, because you are so dehydrated, you've been peeing a lot, you do lose a lot of water-soluble vitamins. So your B vitamins and vitamin C as well. But again, you're going to get those through meat, whole grains, fruits, and vegetables. Mm. But essentially, that's it's not going to like reduce the time of the hangover. It's more just replacing lost nutrition. Um, essentially, there's nothing you can do to... the liver. It's up to the liver to get cure the hangover, really. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, there's no, there's no big things that you can do. There's, and they say it takes your liver one hour to metabolize one standard drink, which is around 10 grams of alcohol. Mm -hmm. So let's say that you had 10 standard drinks one night, you can expect to maybe be feeling like shit for the next 10 hours Mm. or potentially more, depending on people metabolize alcohol at different rates. But 
I guess in short, you'll feel better tomorrow. <laughs> yep. So we'll wrap up there with the questions. And as usual, we'll finish off with one thing that we've learned this week. So I went first last week. So Tiara, you're up. Okay. Um, one thing that I learned this week. So this was from reading the new mass articles that just came out at the beginning of this month. So for people who don't know what mass is, it's monthly applications in strength sport. So it's like a literature review that Eric Helms puts out with Greg Knuckles and Mike Zerdos fantastic could not recommend it enough just bought a lifetime membership which i'm ecstatic about anyway they posted this one article talking i believe it said should you train to recover and essentially they had a group of guys who did heavy sets of bench press something like eight sets of 10 at 70 percent of one rm and then after that There were two groups. One group just rested. The other group, six hours after their exercise and then 30 hours after their exercise, what they did was they did another, it was was like six sets of 10 on bench press, but they were only using 10% of their 1RM. So like super duper light. But essentially what they found, they found a very small significant difference between recovery modalities. And the main way they measured this was through chest swelling. And the people who actually did the bench press very light as their recovery modality compared to those who just chilled out and rested actually had increased chest swelling and hence they had improved recovery very slightly. Now the take-homes from this was two things. One, I think the people might be a little bit concerned about chest swelling, but (laughs) the reason why their chest was more swelled was because there was more blood within the muscles within their chest. And we know that in order to improve recovery, you want to recruit more blood flow to the damaged tissue so that you can induce recovery modalities. That's what, you know, things like foam rolling, trigger balling, massage do. They recruit more blood to that area. Um, So that was a good thing. But also... He kind of just kind of backs up specificity. So for example, if you do a heavy set of bench or a heavy set of squats and you're sore, perhaps the best way and the most specific way to alleviate that soreness would be to do that exercise again, but very light. So remember, these guys use 10% of their 1RM. So if someone can bench press 100 kilograms for a 1RM, 10% of that's only 10 kilograms. <laughs> so that's literally like five, a five kilogram dumbbell in each hand. And you could even do this the next day in between sets because you're really not going to be fatigued from that at all. I'd say you could probably even go upwards of 10% of your 1RM. Most people could just use the bar on bench. But yeah, that's what I learned. Inconvenient having to bench press 10 kilos. Yeah, what the hell? Well, I think, no, we've only got 15 kilogram bars, don't we? Mm. But uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. So if you want to try that out, I might even try it sometimes when when my butt is really sore or even I've done that with hip thrusts to be honest my glutes have been really sore and then I do some light hip thrusts and they feel a hell of a lot better so yeah that's what I learned (laughs) that means if I did it that would be 20 kilo hip thrusts yeah that's the bar that's perfect now you're just bragging you can do 200 kilogram hip oh really (laughs) all right Jack what did you learn so mine was associated with recovery as well and but more anecdotal we both just finished a deload and yeah this is the first time that i wasn't forced into a deload due to injury so and it's been very pleasant coming back and feeling actually refreshed 
and experiencing all my numbers go up even in the first week. So uh, one thing I did learn is that I did push myself too hard in the first week coming back from a deload and I was incredibly sore. So He did train with his coach, Alan Mayo. So if anyone knows Alan, he's a beast in the gym. So it's kind of hard to, you know, not go at 110% when you're around Alan. Mm. And yeah, I actually had to take um, the whole weekend off just so I was more fresh for this week. So <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, it won't be happening again. So next time I'll learn from my mistakes and start off what I finished off at prior to the deload because this week I increased all my weights just because I was feeling so good. But yeah, not worth being that sore again. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Okay, cool. So that is a wrap up of our 21st episode. Thank you guys again so much for the support every single week. We cannot thank you enough. If you enjoyed this episode, please screenshot it, tag it on your Instagram stories, tag myself, tag Jack, tag the bodybuilding dietitians, and we'll catch you next week. See you guys. Bye-bye.